Yes. All right. So in a nutshell, Romans chapter 4 is, is very complicated, but it has a very easy um, principle. So in Romans chapter 3, if you look at verse 19 of Romans 3, it says that all the world has become guilty before God. So they established in Romans 3, if you go down to verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then the, the chapter also says, um, verse 28, that therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And that God is the justifier. Only Jesus is the justifier. And so Romans 3, is, is this whole book is trying to really get the Israelites away from the law. They're kind of falling back into that. And uh, faith by faith without works is dead, but you are not saved by works. Um, for by grace you are saved through faith, is the gift of God, not of works. Ephesians two eight and nine. So in chapter four, he's going to follow up that teaching of chapter three by proving to the Israelites that their father, if you, if you, they were debating with Jesus in the Gospels. And they, one of the things they decreed to Jesus was that our father is Abraham. So the Israelite uh, Hebrew nation really deems Abraham the father of that nation. And so what Romans 4 is all about is to show them that even Abraham, the one they hold so high in regard, was not saved by works, but he was justified by faith. And so that's everything chapter 4 is about. Knowing the premise that this whole chapter is to show that even the father of their nation was justified by faith and not by works is a huge point to make to them. So it says, verse 1, What shall we say? That Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? And then verse 3 actually quotes Genesis 15.6. So this is not a New Testament verse. Genesis uh, or Romans 4.3 quotes Genesis 15. And here's what it says. Abraham believed... And it was accounted to him for righteousness. So they, Paul does a beautiful job of bringing the Hebrews right back to their own scriptures. The Torah, the law, the books of Moses. Which proclaimed that the righteousness of God was accounted to Abraham because of what reason? What did he do in verse 3? He believed in God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son to whoever believes in him. So there were no works to be done. First of all, Abraham lived long before the law was even established. And yet that word in accounted, 
is a very important word in this whole chapter. It's, it's either accounted or imputed. And it, it simply means to take someone else's righteousness or sin and put it in your account. So what happened to you when you were saved is you were in debt to God for the wages or the debt of sin is death. And our account was now not only removed the sin from our account, but what was accounted to us or imputed to us or deposited to us was the very righteousness of God. The opposite, by the way, of what Jesus did for us on the cross. When the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 that he who knew no sin became sin for us, all of our sins, those who trusted him, that sin was actually imputed onto him and he became sin, paid for that sin. And then when he rose again, defeated that sin. So that's the premise. And it says in verse 2 that if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Well, what does Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says? Not For by gracious faith through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast and Larry does so she did a really great job of this this morning and every sat every Sunday if you ever get a chance if you have an extra hour in your Sunday that our Sunday school classes are top-notch and they're so deep and so good but the um, that idea that that it's all gone it's the sovereignty of God just like with Saul does Saul have anything to boast about this morning the fact that he was on his way to arrest Christians and God stopped him right there, he can only give glory to God. And that's the beautiful thing about being saved by grace, undeserved, through faith. Um, verse 4. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So the wages, there's that word again, the wages of sin is death. So we all, as a sinful people, owe the wages of death. We are in debt to God. We are born and dead in our trespasses and sins. And the sins of, we're going to see this next uh, time we study in chapter 5, that the sins of Adam are passed to us. We, we've inherited it from Adam. And therefore, if we reject the free gift of the imputed righteousness of God then we remain in debt to our account sin stays in our account and look at that verse again to him who works if you're going to work for your salvation the wages are not counted as grace but as debt it's a beautiful thing trusting in Christ through faith look at verse 5 but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. It's, it's all uh, kind of... Uh, uh, you, God uses all kinds of, of monetary terms so that we'll understand it. We have a debt to pay, and that debt is death. Jesus Christ paid that debt. And as he pays the debt... He wipes out our account clean from all of our sin and, and, and replaces it with his own righteousness. It's incredible. However, 
If we don't accept it or we reject it, then the sin stays. And when that sin stays, according to verse 4, we still have a debt to pay. And that debt is eternal separation from God for eternity. There used to be some of the older people will remember this maybe. I won't say older people. Some of the experienced people might remember the old Midas commercials years ago. And the, the line in the commercial was, you can pay me now or pay me later. And the whole idea was if you pay to get your muffler cleaned or your car taken care of, then you won't have to pay for a major uh, engine repair later. Well, that's the same with our sins. Either accept the payment of Christ now or you still owe the payment later. Verse 6. Now he takes us not just to Abraham. The whole chapter is about Abraham, but he throws in the middle of it David, and I don't know that any two people are more revered in the Israelite teachings of the Pharisees than Abraham and David. And he says, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Get that. This is what this chapter is about, that the righteousness of God is available to you, but not through works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Turn, if you will, to Psalm 32. Just for a second. We won't be there long. I just want, to, uh, I just want you to see this with your own eyes. Psalm 32. Very similar to Genesis 15:6. A psalm of David. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So as we go back to Romans, we can see this is a direct quote from David himself. A, a psalm that these Pharisees and Sadducees and Hebrews would know about. And this idea of imputation, Abraham spoke of it, and God spoke of it about Abraham in Genesis, and David, who certainly understands the grace of God, he did some horrible things. This Psalm 32 was written after Bathsheba, after the, the murder of her husband. And he understands the amazing grace of God, the undeserved forgiveness that God would impute righteousness to us. So, and by the way, what did David do to earn that forgiveness of God? And so he deserved certainly punishment, certainly the wrath of God. So they take these two great heroes of, of the Old Testament and let them know that that while Christ is the, the full propitiation and payment, the, the anticipation of God's forgiveness, it's always been that we are saved by what we believe, saved by faith. Abraham believed, and that's how it was accounted to righteousness. It's never been about works. Even through the whole presentation of the law in the Old Testament, it was still by faith that you changed.
verse 9. This is, these next few verses are, are it's really logical, beautiful, beautiful. It's a beautifully logical argument. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only? Or upon the uncircumcised also? Circumcision was very big. If you remember in uh, the book of Acts, we're going to get to that eventually. In the book of Acts, they once Paul started reaching the Gentile nations and going on these missionary journeys, the Jews back in Jerusalem really thought that, that these Gentiles ought to get circumcised. And they had a whole council and a whole discussion about whether or not they had to add circumcision in order for them to be saved. It's unlike mankind to add works to anything, isn't it? We do it all the time. Churches do it all the time. So the question came in, can you have this grace by faith without circumcision? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Verse 10, how then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Genesis 15, 6 came approximately, according to theologians, about 14 or 15 years before Abraham was called by God to circumcise himself and circumcise his son Isaac. So he received the righteousness of God imputed to him long before he was circumcised. Now just imagine these Hebrews, these, these religious Jewish leaders, our father is Abraham. Abraham is the father of our country and we are going to keep the laws of... Well, did you know that God imputed his righteousness to him long before he was ever circumcised? That would be a real shaker to them. Verse 11. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of faith which he had while still uncircumcised. That he might be the father of those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith, by which our father Abraham, while, while still uncircumcised. So we sing the song, Father Abraham and many sons, many sons that father. And we, we sing that song because... We are engrafted into all the promises of God that he made to the Israelites. And so Abraham, who God said would be the father of many nations, and all, but through Abraham all the nations of the world would be blessed. Because through the seed of Abraham came Jesus Christ. And circumcision is the, the, the symbolic uh, um, step of faith for, with God representing where the seed would come from, from the male. And it's just a beautiful thing. It's, it, but it's kind of like baptism. To be baptized is a beautiful step of obedience to God. But you are saved before baptism, just like Abraham was saved before circumcision. So it wasn't the circumcision that brought him salvation. It wasn't the works and the deeds it was his faith. And when God said, get up, get out of your country, go to a place that you don't know, and he did what? He got up and he went. It was the faith and trust in God, not the works of getting up and going, but as James said, 
Faith without works is what? Dead. So if you believe in God, it will be seen by your actions. But we get it mixed up. We believe in God so we begin to obey him. And then we mistakenly put our faith on what we've obeyed. No, the, it, the faith is, is what God has done. Verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So because of Abraham's faith and his obedience to God, God was able to bring Jesus through the seed of Abraham. It's beautiful. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is made of no effect. There is a need for a Savior. That promise is Jesus. You could take that word promise or heir, and you could put Jesus in there. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there's no transgression. So this is a little bit of a review of last chapter. That Abraham, the, the law was not what saved us. The law was what taught us we needed to be saved. That makes sense? The law doesn't save us. It teaches us we need to be saved. And anyone who tries to get to glory through the law makes the promise of Jesus of no effect. The idea of Christ on the cross is we come to him and say, God, I am incapable of righteousness. I'm incapable of keeping your law. Would you please forgive me for I am a sinner. I repent of my sins. I turn from my wicked ways. I believe and trust in you and what you've done on the cross. That's how the law is supposed to drive us. But again, mankind twists things around and we make the law the way of salvation. And it's just the opposite. The law is supposed to teach us no. And he gives this point to the Jews that look at not even Abraham, who wasn't even circumcised, when God said, I put into your account my righteousness. Incredible. Now verse 16 and 17 are the great verses of this chapter. They are immensely a blessing if, if you'll follow along with them, which I know you will. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. See, when we're saved by faith, then it's all about grace. If we don't do anything and there's nothing to boast about, then who gets every bit of the glory? It's all God. So that the promise, Jesus, might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of faith in Abraham, who is the father of us all, Father Abraham. That's why you sing that song, because it was that example of Abraham, the first one in the Bible that we get that phrase, he was accounted to him for righteousness. And everyone who follows in his example and follows the heir, the promise, the seed, the Messiah, the Christ that came from that lineage, they are saved by grace. But look at verse 17. Watch this. It's so good. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom believed. 
God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Look at that phrase. It's so beautifully written. He gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And when I read that phrase, I see myself. I was dead in my trespasses and sin. The Bible says he has made alive, he has quickened those who were dead. I was non-existent and God made me alive. Stop me just like he did Saul this morning and open my heart and mind to his truth and gave me a gift of faith and I was transformed immediately. I've never been the same. But God did it all. And he, I love that. He calls those things which should not exist as though they did. When I was, you know, Liz and I were dating in early high school. And we just had our, this last week, I'm not sure which day it was. I think it was February 9th. I think I pinpointed the day. It was the 47th anniversary of our first date. I went. We went to a, a certain event. I looked it up on Google. So 47 years ago, well, we were not even thinking about God 47 years ago, not even a glimmer of thought, and we might as well had not even existed. You know what God said about Judas? It says it would have been better if what you had not been born. Wouldn't you hate that to be the testimony of your life? And that's kind of how it was. If I had lived a life the way I was during those early years of high school, my entire life, and just died and went to hell. What a horrible existence. But God took a man who was going nowhere, and he saw what was coming. That's beautiful. I don't know. I just really like that a lot. Maybe it doesn't have any resonation to you, but for me, I just look at myself. That God called those who did not exist as though they did. Man, oh man. All right, verse 18. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed. Now this verse, chapter 18, takes it away from us. 16 and 17 is for us, those who follow Abraham. Verses 18 through 22 take us back to Abraham. And this is a really beautiful picture of true faith. What real faith looks like. Not just a prayer that you say and one time and then you get saved or not get saved, whatever happens. The people in the church think you're saved, but then you never go to church and never read your Bible. Look what it says. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken. So shall your descendants be. Well, God kept telling Abraham about all of his descendants. Well, there wasn't much hope of that ever happening because him and his wife were very elderly. The fact that they would have a child in their 90s, probably not. I don't know if you know this, it doesn't happen very often. And now being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, and not being weak in the faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. 
And God said, I'm going to make you many descendants, father of many nations. And he said, okay, God. But he was almost 100. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. And that is faith. Faith is not some mystical, magical thing where you believe in some spirits. Faith is reading your scripture, hearing the word of God, and responding with, thus saith the Lord. God said it, and that settles it. That is true faith. That is trust in the God, trust in the scripture. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, verse 21, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Do you believe that? He was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform. I really think that's one of the best definitions of faith. Now we know that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. But what does the outside uh, view of faith look like? How do you see faith in yourself or someone else? Well, I think it's verse 21. He was fully convinced that, he, that what he had promised he was able to perform. And he had promised that he would have descendants. Now, Sarah was a little hesitant, wasn't she? A little hesitant, laughed, suggested Ishmael. Are you convinced that God is able to do what he promised? Do you believe that he's coming back? Do you believe that all things work together for good? Do you believe that when you die, you'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord? That changes your whole attitude of life if you believe the promises of God. We've seen that song, Standing on the Promises. That's true faith. Not just the faith of saying a prayer, repeating it as people tell you to, and then you live your life still in fear, still in doubt, still in not love, joy, and peace, but, but you know sadness and stress. It changes. True faith brings on that spirit of God. I just love that definition. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Why? Because he believed what God was able to perform. So you can see God or, or these men of Israel being taught by Paul in such a uh, beautiful way about the difference between faith and works. And for him to take Abraham, the father of their nation, and eloquently, isn't it eloquent the way he explains it? It's really beautiful. It's logical. He lays it out. And you can't walk away from this chapter without knowing that Abraham was saved by faith. That his righteousness of God was given to him based on his belief. The works were a result of what he believed. Which is why... The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And what's the next part? Believe in your heart. Now that's a whole different aspect, isn't it? We can say anything with our mouth. People do all the time. But your actions will really show what you truly believe. So he closes this beautiful book or this beautiful chapter with now 
it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. That's a good verse. Because what he's saying there is, don't think this is just isolated for Abraham. Abraham that's special and only he could have God's righteousness imputed to him. Oh, no, no, no. But also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. If you confess with the mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart that he's what? Risen from the dead. If you believe it, then you are saved. What that means is your sins are removed from your account and God takes his righteousness and replaces it. And now you are justified in the, in the sight of God. Because when he sees you, he sees the account that Jesus has now controlled and replaced. It's beautiful. This language of imputation and justification. Verse 25. Who was delivered up. This is an interesting verse. God was delivered up because of our, of our offenses. So what is the wages of sin? death god demonstrates his love towards us that while we're yet sinners christ died for us he was the propitiation the full payment for our sins our offenses he was delivered to the cross to pay for our sins and he was raised because of our justification when jesus christ raised from the dead that was the pinnacle proof of god's acceptance of the payment for your sin fully accepted victorious over death oh death where is your sting oh, or sin where is your victory he rose from the dead and that's why the resurrection is, is pinnacle to our salvation the trusting that's why Easter is still my favorite day I just love Easter love that whole idea of thinking about and celebrating it's also the, the holiday I became a Christian on so just something about it I just love it obviously his resurrection sealed our righteousness. Great chapter. It's beautiful because it applies to us. And you could read verse 24 that Abraham believed and it's accounted to him for righteousness. And you can take your name and place it right there. Liz believed and it was accounted to her for righteousness. John believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Rick believed it was accounted to him for righteousness. And everybody, whether you're of the circumcision or non-circumcision, it's everybody who believes whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. What a beautiful time just to rest. And I think everybody in this, this room knows these truths. Uh, lives by these truths, but it's just so great to celebrate them, to be encouraged by them. Lord, bless our night, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.